podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. And it's another edition of Cover Tea on the Anfield Draft. My name's Lizzie Doyle uh, and I was joined in the studio by Professor Phil Screeton. Now, we did only speak to Phil um, about a month or two ago. We'd done a Desert Island Goals. It was unbelievable. If you get the chance, please do go and listen to him. Everyone should know who Phil Screeton is. Um, he's a hero of this city. He's fought for the justice of this city. Um, and as you all know, probably know Phil from the Hillsborough Independent panel. But he done a cup of tea with us because uh, he come he come by the office and he just really wanted to to pop in, see how we were, and, and I sort of persuaded him to have a chat. But as Phil won't mind me saying, uh, I tried to get him to do a ten minute weekend segment, uh, and it turned out to be thirty five minutes. So here you go. Uh, here is a free Anfield Drap cup of tea uh, with the incredible. Phil Screeton. Phil, thank you so much for coming along. No, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Lizzie. So, Phil, you're based in Belfast. You're back in Liverpool on the hottest day of the year. It must be amazing to come back each time, though. Obviously, you, you live there now, but you, you, this is still your home. Yeah, Liverpool's still still my home, even though our house is in the middle of Belfast. We've been there 16 years, but we're looking to move back in the very near future to, to the city. Um, so, it'll be great to to be here and I mean one of the things about coming into um, into the studio is that it brings me so close to the liver buildings and of course <laughs> I've got two associations with that the first one is uh, obviously that people will know the Hillsborough Independent Panel met on the sixth floor of um, the liver buildings with a view across to Birkenhead and Wallasey Birkenhead where my mum was born and um, I used to look over and think of when we were on the panel, I used to look out of the room and think that, you know, kind of, I know it sounds ridiculous and romantic or whatever, but, or nostalgic even, but I would think my mum was looking down on us. Uh, and the other issue was that uh, it was in the Queen Mary room and my dad went to see on the Queen Mary out of yeah. Liverpool. So it was um, fortuitous, really. It was an amazing coincidence that you end up in the Queen Mary room in the Cunard building and there in front of you is the history of your life. And I felt like that on the day the um, Hillsborough Independent Panel uh, released its findings in the Anglican Cathedral. That morning I arrived at about um, 7 o'clock and we had a breakfast in the, um, in the cathedral. And uh, I thought that we, we could turn cathedrals into breakfast places. That would be great. And... Uh, <laughs> And, and, you know, had the breakfast there and then the families came in. But before all that happened, and I was going to present the report to the families, and I did so, it took over an hour. But before it all happened, I walked out high on the plinth above, um, above the cathedral and I looked across the, the river um, to where my mum was born, to where I grew up, parts where I grew up, and then into the city across to the Dingle where I lived for a long time. And I just thought this is an, an amazing moment, you know, an amazing moment that we're delivering the Hillsborough Independent Panel report and there in front of me is my family history, you know, and the ferry going backwards and forwards and all of that. How many years has it been since you've lived in Liverpool then? It's, um, I know you've come back and forth. Yeah, it's, it's, it's 16 since, since we were... We were this side of the water, and by the water I don't mean Birkenhead, I mean <laughs> the Irish Sea. But it's, it's, it's 16 years, and um, yeah, coming backwards and forwards um, has always been a reminder of your roots and where you're from. But the other thing I'd say is that Belfast, living in Belfast during this period of time has been a real privilege. This is a society coming out of war, you know, the legacy of war and conflict, and 
to do research and work with the communities in Belfast, communities that are very like our communities here in Liverpool, has been a great privilege. And it was the reason that Dina and I were, were keen to move across or happy to move across. Where else would you have that opportunity to be able to work and live in a place that's transitioning out of, some people call it the conflict, I would call it war. Mm. And to make a contribution to that, you know, either work with young people, as a lot of my research is, or work with prisoners. Um, so that, that's been the, 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 the recent history. And of course, one of the reasons that, uh, not reasons, but I suppose the context of the move was, I thought Hillsborough was over. When we moved in 2003, it looked as though very much Hillsborough was over, that we, was, we weren't going to go anywhere with that. Who would have thought that only um, basically six years later that we would be back engaged with Hillsborough again directly in the panel and all that came after that, and I'd be flying backwards and forwards. Uh, so, so quite a lot of people think that I was like a Johnny-come-lately and <laughs> I, I came to Hillsborough only more recently but uh, that's just not true. I mean, I'd worked with the families and with survivors um, since uh, 1989, a few weeks after um, after it happened and studying the Mile of Scarves and all of that. Uh, and so, you know, to me, it was unfinished business, but it, I could never have predicted that it would have, first of all, given us the opportunity to put the record straight once and for all. But secondly, also the means to do that. It's one thing that you know that something is a miscarriage of justice, that something is wrong. It's another thing to have the means to be able to research that chapter and verse, get access to all of those documents and be able mm -hmm. to expose it for what it was. And obviously when you were coming back then, you, it was for the Hillsborough Independent Panel, it was the, you know, the, the inquest, whereas, whereas now you get to come back as Phil Scraton who... I don't know, can, can go the match, can explore this city, can, can live in this city uh, again? Yeah, I mean, I, it, I, I've always seen myself as just an ordinary Joe. You know, I'm nobody special. I do what I do to the best of my ability. And to be able to walk around the city, it is nice when people come up and just shake your hand and say, nice one, Phil, or something like that. That's great. That's fantastic. But, you know, I'm not a celebrity. I'm somebody who wants to be part of my hometown, want to um, be involved like all of us in, in the place and make a contribution. And, you know, when I think about living in Nile Street um, in the Dingle and the condition of the area and the place and coming down the docks and literally breaking into the docks to take photographs of the broken buildings and all the rest of it. And I know it's gentrification, I get that, of course I understand that. But to see the vibrancy of the city, to see the feel of it, doesn't mean that there isn't poverty, doesn't mean that people aren't on the streets, doesn't mean that we've got a long way to go to um, to challenge you know, the, the worst excesses of, of, of the society in which we live. But I think that there's been a real, a real transition, a real attempt to make a major difference to people's lives here over time. And it's working. It doesn't mean that there won't be rip-off merchants, there won't be, there won't be the, <laughs> the Boris Johnsons of this world who come and you know, make outrageous statements about, about Liverpool people and about the city. Um, of course, that'll go on. But we just have to put that in perspective. And on a beautiful day like today, to walk down the pier ahead and look back up at the city and think, yeah, 
this is remarkable. This is a great place, you know. Whether we, have, we, we lose the status of international heritage on the site or not, mm. that's not the point. The point is that, 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 that the place itself has a feel of, of optimism and, 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 and an optimism of the spirit, as Gramsci would have said. You know, uh, yeah, there's, there can be pessimism, but the optimism of the spirit is here. You speak so passionately about both cities, about Liverpool and Belfast, um, and it makes me wonder if if you'll not ever stop fighting for justice. Obviously, the the work you've done with Hillsborough, it, it's rightly so that people should come up and shake your hand in the streets. As far as I'm concerned, um, I, I, there should be a statue of you somewhere. Oh, no, really, no. I'd hate that. I'd hate <laughs> we need that. to do a Harigi one I'd first, don't it. we? Um, <laughs> but will you ever? When, when will you sort of stop and and I don't know, like relax. Not not relaxing, if that's the right word, because obviously you've got your passions, you've got your models, and I think you'll always fight for what you believe in. But will there ever be a time where you maybe like wind down a little bit? Well, I I think yeah. I mean, well, I'll be forced to wind down. You know, your health, you've got to kind of look out for it. I'm no, I'm no spring chicken, but I think that the 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 thing that's really important is at the moment. For example, I'm doing work on deaths in custody and deaths in contested circumstances, particularly at the hands of the police. And that's taken me to Australia, where I spent three months uh, just before Christmas working particularly with the Aboriginal Torres Islander communities. And that work has been really significant and important in my life and will continue to be so. I'm also working on coroners and contested deaths in across the island of Ireland, particularly in the south, and that's been a real eye-opener. And I'm not just talking about police custody, prisons, etc. I'm actually talking about hospital deaths, deaths that are contested where families have a right to know the circumstances in which their loved ones died. And I think that, I don't think it's like I have the passion and then I take it somewhere. Yeah. What happens is that I, I meet families and they come to see me or they write to me or their solicitors or whoever write to me and um, I have no right to turn that down in a way. I mean, obviously, you can only do what you can do, and I'm very clear about that. I mean, you know, I, I sometimes will have a post bag of 20, 30 emails in, which, in a week in which, you know, five or six of them are people asking me to take up their cases. Well, I can't do that, mm. and I wouldn't be arrogant enough to think that I, even if I had the time, that I, that I have the ability. But what, what I do, what I do, what I can do, is make a difference on a bigger stage, which is that stage of trying to reform um, the inquiry system and the inquest inquisitorial process. Uh, and it's not just an issue. Um, it's an issue now beyond Hillsborough. It's an issue that encompasses all kinds of contested deaths, whether they're in hospitals, whether they're in mental institutions, um, whether they're in prisons. And, you know, I suppose I have the experience of that. So I can't... I can't just say, oh, well, I've done what I'm I've done, done and yeah. I'm done. Yeah, there is no done in that. You know, so, um, yeah, and uh, uh, and that's... I'm not a missionary, you know, at all. And I do have a life. I was at a gig last night, KD Lang. Absolutely it brilliant. Good? It was brilliant. I stood there in, in when we were giving the platter, she sang hallelujah, and I suddenly realised the tears were dripping off my chin. I mean, she was magnificent. So I'm saying I cried. But yeah, I do go out and enjoy myself is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> you know, I'm meeting mates in, in town tonight and we'll go out and we'll have a few drinks and, you know, we'll swap stories. I live just a very ordinary life. Pretty boring, really. 
but you know all that other stuff is what I do in 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 my time you know in the time that is dedicated more to work and to research yeah and like you said you said you're over for a couple of days now and the reason I sort of asked you to come in was to to talk about the Reds because we said obviously that you are Professor Phil Screeton but you're also Phil the football fan as well <laughs> um just just so I just wanted to get your thoughts obviously um how many years have you been going the match now I saw my first game when I was four, and I'm not going to tell you how old I am. Well, I am actually. I had, I had my 70th birthday this year, and everyone's shocked at that. They can't believe it. Yeah, right. Um, but no, I mean, um, you know, that I saw my first game when I was four. I still have the scarf. Mm. Uh, I have my um, red and white striped scarf from there, and I've never, it's never been washed. It's woolen, um, and that's in a very special. It's a very very special place. So I've been going all those years. I was a season ticket holder for quite a long time. I then um, stopped going after Hillsborough mm-hmm. regularly, and then I felt I was inflicting it on my kids. Um, the first game our Paul went to, I snuck him out the house, um, got to the match, had a big great coat on, and I was in the stands, and someone said, I can hear a baby crying, and I had to fess up and open my jacket. <laughs> and there was our Paul in a sling on my front. Him in. Yeah, and uh, he was, I think he was only nine months, and, and so it was like, that was his first game. It was a pity we drew with Ipswich 1-1. But anyway, yeah, and I've always followed them, and I've got back into to, to the game when I can, you know, when mm-hmm. I'm over. But I never miss, you know, every week, I never miss the match, you know, at a distance. Yeah. And I always know where we're at. Um, yeah, and, and I, I think that disillusion gradually has, has gone. Uh, and I think a lot of that is to do, I know it's a multi-million pound business. I get that. But the club has changed. Yeah, it has. You know, and it's respect that it shows. It's not just the 96 on the shirts, which is absolutely imperative and really important. It's the respect shown to the families and survivors by the club. That is so important. And we had that period, that awful period of American ownership when the previous American ownership, when, you know, that that, that did not um, that did not obtain, but but the the current owners and and uh, you know the current directors, you know that the, there is a totally different and Kenny, you know, there's a totally different atmosphere in the place, and so yeah, given that it's 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 a major international product mm. and the name is, you know, it's still it's still our club, yeah. and I think it has brought us back to uh, a position which is entirely different. Coming to the season, well, you know, who would have expected that we would be sitting here thinking, well, we're European champions. It's crazy, again. isn't it? Oh, it is fantastic. <laughs> what a nice. And I didn't go. I had the chance to go, but I didn't think it was right that someone who hadn't been going to the match every week should take two tickets. So um, I watched it at my mates uh, over in Belfast, and God, it was such a. It was such a disappointment after the previous game, but it was bound to be. It mm. couldn't, you know, for both teams, it, they couldn't live up to it. It was a dreadful night. It was so hot. It was oh, so it was humid. They hadn't been played for playing for three weeks, and they're expected to come out and turn on performances like they'd done in the semis. Well, they couldn't do that. So, but but but, but you know, the, the who will ever forget the Barcelona game? Who will ever forget that night? You know, and all that went with that. You know, it was just absolutely remarkable and that was the real story the only thing is you know and and I really think this Lizzie is that that when you've been through experiences like that your hopes are lifted so high 
we've got to keep our feet on the ground. I mean, there are good teams in the Premiership. There are hungry teams in the Premiership. All kinds of things can happen, injuries and everything that throws us off course uh, during a season. And we've seen that before. Uh, and so the idea that, well, we're European champions, we're bound to win the league now, no. We've just got to bide our time. And I know we've been waiting for a long time, but we've got to bide our time and what will happen will happen. And what I want to see is, and I think it will, this will happen, is we continue to play really exciting football and that internationally, people who are neutrals and people who support other teams say, you know what, I really like the the, 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 the football that Liverpool play. And, I, and that's what we're looking forward to. And if we win the championship, if we win the championship, it's a day to me, isn't it? <laughs> if we win the premiership, we win the premiership, you know? Um, but, and, and it, yeah, I mean, a domestic, a domestic trophy is really important. I think so. I, I, absolutely. And it's important to the fans, important to the city. It's, um, it's important to our Sean because he doesn't remember the last time that, we, that, we won, that, that, that we won the premiership. Paul just remembers it. Um, but, you know, I, I think that's the, yeah, that's the wish, that's the hope. But my real hope is that we continue to play great football in the spirit that we were playing it last season and that that generates uh, a shared experience of, of soccer, you know, of football. And, and I think we've got the managers now around to do that. You know, not just our manager, Jurgen Klopp, who is, people see as this eccentric guy. He's not eccentric. He's a bright fella. He really gets it. He really understands it. And what people see as eccentricity is humanity. Mm. He's an incredibly human guy, and um, and I think that exudes into the in, into the players and the rest. But he's an intelligent bloke. He's um, you know he's bright. He's sharp. He's got an understanding outside football. And if you look now at the top managers, they all have that. Mm. You know the top managers. Um, those old, you know, style English managers all bluff and bluster and what they were going to do and when they were going, that's gone. That's in the past. And all the good managers now um, are living in a totally different universe of respect and understanding and, 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 and also, yeah, intelligence. Is this the best side you've ever seen? Now, you've, you've, oh, seen, you've seen good Liverpool sides. I wouldn't have put you at 70, but you've just told everyone that you're 70. <laughs> you have seen you. Uh, what would be considered before this year as the best Liverpool sides. And I'm just curious as to, for me, in my lifetime, this is the best one I've ever seen. Oh, How I, would you compare it? I, I, I think it's hard to make comparisons because the grounds were different, the, the balls were different, the, the boots were different. Everything about the game was different. And, you know, as somebody who always dreamed of playing for Liverpool you know, running around in those boots on muddy pitches. I mean, it's a totally different, you know, even ordinary football is played on much better pitches now and with much, with much better equipment. Um, and, of course, it lends itself to speed and slickness. Uh, a lot of other things have changed in the game, not least um, people talk about physical contact being taken out of the game. No, I think real clogging has been taken out of the game, maybe not in the lower divisions, but... You know, certainly in the Premiership, you know, there are no cloggers. You know, there's none of that stuff about who's going to get who and how they're going to do them in the next match. So it's very hard to gauge comparatively with all those changes. I still would say, without any shadow of doubt, that whatever era he'd played in, Kenny Dalglish 
was outstanding and would be out as, as outstanding today as he was historically. You know, there's no question about that in my mind. As a team, and as a team game, the game is played differently. I think that in its time, and with all of the caveats that I've just given, that Liverpool team um, that won you know, consecutively in Europe, that won consecutively in, the, in what was then the championship, that Liverpool team, and there was more than one, it was, you know, it was reinvented more than once, um, was, was absolutely outstanding. Um, but the other thing that concerns me about naming my best ever Liverpool team is that that would automatically rule out somebody like um, Steven Gerrard, yeah. uh, Jamie Carragher. You know, these wonderful players... And, you know, their moment was 2005. Their moment was Istanbul. And they were shown in Istanbul to be the great, the great, in, in, in an average team, they were the great players. Mm. So um, I would rather try and select my best composite team. But, but the question, the fair enough question is, how would I rate um, this Liverpool team? I would say... It's one of the best in Europe and in the world. It's an outstanding team. Um, the depth of the squad has now, has now, as was demonstrated last season, is now such that um, it can cover when when we have injuries. Um, and there are the, 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 there are some absolutely outstanding, exceptional players that would have been wonderful in any period of time. I mean, you know. The, 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 we always talk about the central spine of a team. You look at the goalkeeper, you look at Virgil, and you you look at the forwards. I'm not even going to single out, you know, the single forward, but the three, the mm. three, you know, the three main forwards. And if you look at that kind of, it, it's almost in my head. It's almost like a, a flower shape. <laughs> um, that is as good as you'll get. And and I and, and I think certainly it's something that really we're all looking forward to in the in the next season. And you just hope that these young guys, and they are young, it sounds patronising for me to say that, but these young guys keep their health and keep, and keep injury free. Not, not just because we want to do well, but for their sake. You want it for them yeah. to be, you know. When I went to Anfield um, uh, just before the 30th Memorial and I spoke to the first team, I don't about. think many people actually know about this, Phil, if you wouldn't mind, just a quick rundown. I know you can't go into detail. But. Yeah, no, I was invited to go and talk to the players just to um, talk about, um, along with Margaret Aspinall, to talk about um, what Hillsborough meant and what Hillsborough really added up to and all, all of that. And I also went to speak to, um, to, to the junior players at the academy, who were wonderful, by the way. They were just so attentive. Not a bit of fidgeting. Everyone was just completely committed. And going in to to to, to do that uh, and and being with the players, you saw a genuine emotion, and you're reminded, not in a patronising way, you're reminded about how young these guys are. They most of them weren't born at the time of Hillsborough. Most of them are not from here, but some of those guys have actually been through strife in their own lives. They come from war zones, for want of a better phrase. And for all the millions, for all of the amount of money that they are paid, they are human beings. And the point of saying that, that I was about to make, I think, was that when you get a great player, 
who's got everything to play for and the world's at their feet and they get injured and they're out for a season or they're out for a season and a half and when they come back they don't have quite the edge they had before that is a tragedy yeah it's not just a tragedy for the fans and for the teammates it's a tragedy for that individual and i think sometimes we forget that however many millions a player has they know they're only one tackle away from a career-ending injury. And that, to me, is something we always have to show real respect for, um, particularly at a time when the game is played at such a high level, when fitness is so imperative. You know, people will say, oh, yeah, so-and-so, he got injured, he never was as quick afterwards as he was before. You know, you look at someone like Terry Sheringham and you think, how on earth did he play till his late 30s to the standard he did? And it was because he was injury-free. Mm. You know, and we've seen great players lose their careers on the basis of one tackle and not necessarily a dirty tackle or one twist on the ground, one slight fall. And I think we have to remember, and this is the respect I will always show those guys, is that they are humans first and the soccer players second. They might be great humans, they might be great soccer players, but, you know, we're all prone to injury. I, I nearly died in... in um, in, in 2001, actually September the 11th, 2001, I had a slip and um, on, on a, believe it or not, a, a disability ramp in the Coliseum in, um, in, in, uh, in, in uh, where was it, Verona. And my leg went under me and I severed my quadriceps tendon and it didn't get diagnosed. And I, got, I took two flights, which was really bad for the bleed in my leg. And what came out of that was I ended up, they, they patched it, they finally diagnosed it and stitched, had to cut my leg open, stitch the, the, um, the, uh, the quadriceps tendon together and sew it into my knee. But I got blood clots to both lungs and was in intensive care and nearly died. And if it had been a smoker, I would have died. And what that reminded me of, I mean, I'm not comparing myself to a, fully fit, brilliant, outstanding footballer. But what I am saying is, my life, which at that moment was really on a high and things were going so well, was nearly ended, mm. just in one slip. So it's just one tackle away. And the career's gone. And the career's gone. And we'll all remember them, and we'll all say how great they were, and there'll be a testimonial. And they will be comfortable for the rest of their lives. That's not the point. And I think that humanity has to be brought back into all sport, but humanity has to be brought back into soccer. And I think that it's one of the reasons that I hate um, seeing vicious, nasty racism at games or homophobia or, um, you know, women feeling uncomfortable at a match. I hate that. I just hope that that's behind us and I would do everything I could to take the hate out. I mean, I've, I think a lot of people know that I wrote a, a, a long piece on Munich mm. at the 50th anniversary yeah. um, because I wanted to stop the chance. I can't do it. I'm Phil I can't. Somebody like me can't stop the chance. But you know what I'm saying? I wanted to make a statement. I wanted to make a contribution and say, look, you can't just stand there saying, we don't want people chanting Hillsborough at us if you're prepared to shout Munich back at them. It doesn't matter who starts it. 
and every young person has got to grow up respecting, you know, the soccer heritage, which means respecting what happened in Munich 1958 and what happened at Hillsborough in 1989. We have to remember that and we have to respect it because we're dealing with people who are still alive, who survived that, uh, obviously in Hillsborough, but even in Munich. We, we know what those families went through and their, their sons, their daughters, their grandsons, their granddaughters. And that respect is imperative to me. And then we can move forward with a game that is respectful. Yeah, of course it has. It doesn't okay. have to be animosity. Yeah. You know? Um, I think we all thought, we all had a sneak, even if we didn't admit it, we all had a sneaking feeling about Leicester City winning the Premiership. Who yeah. would have ever dreamt of that? Yeah. Who would have thought that was ever possible? Least of all, Leicester themselves. And they did it. We all had a sneaking admiration for that. You know, and, and I think to me, we should never allow bitterness to come into what is a beautiful game. If it is a beautiful game, it's a beautiful game. And that means it should be a beautiful game to watch and appreciate. Um, I still feel bad about Vincent Company's <laughs> wonderful goal. It's too painful to <laughs> think <laughs> and talk about. Yeah, but at any other circumstances, I'd have looked at that and said, that was Roy of the Rovers, you know, yeah. that was like ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, I hated it at that moment for yeah. what it did to us. But rightfully so, because the the title challenges, it's not... Exactly. It shouldn't so be fueled with hate. It's because you, you gutted that you're not winning the league. That's the point. That's exactly the point. It's the fact that you feel gutted, you feel let down, you feel oh, so disappointed we came so close. Um, but it must never descend into hate. Don't we all have responsibility for that? I mean, I... I you, you you say that are you went in and I know it's different but you spoke to the players but if we take away the fact that the players that you know 11 to 20 young men uh, you know they're the age of a lot of the lads that are going the match now and how do we stop these these young kids from taking on a, a bit of a, a legacy of what's been before and that's not to say uh, anyone's a bad person but these chants these yeah but this tip for tat has been around for so many years now it's sort of embedded in our football culture and I well, I, what, I don't know how that changes well, with the I young think, people. I think that's a really important question. I think we've all got a role to play in that. Uh, one of the things that I really want to do, and um, we've been working on it for a bit of time, is I, I want to do a children, young persons version of Hillsborough, the truth. I want that to be freely available to schools. I want that to um, be part of uh, educational endeavour if you like. I mean there are some schools that already um, bring us in to talk to young people and one of the things that I want to say to people in those situations um, we can't have the argument both ways. If the ends had been different yeah Liverpool would have had the cop mm. but Nottingham Forest supporters would have been in Leppings Lane. The crush would have happened. The barrier would have collapsed the pile of bodies at the front would have been a pile of bodies of people from Nottingham. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to get into that debate over who had which end. What I want to get into is the issue that there but for the grace go all of us. So we have to understand, and I think that's what the panels work and what the eventual verdicts have done. They've demonstrated that this wasn't about Liverpool and only Liverpool. This was about dangerous situations. And I think that from my point of view, I'm, and I'm passionate about this, wherever I see that kind of level of injustice, 
it's not me it's happening to it's not my family but it's a family it's another family um i i hope none of my family never go to prison i've certainly never i've been in prison but i've never been sent to prison but it doesn't mean to say i won't fight for prisoners rights because i imagine myself in that situation if i go into a prison cell and i see somebody an injustice happening to that person that's an injustice happening to me mm. that's an injustice happening in our name and i think that issue that phrase that's often used not in our name is a really important phrase but it's also not in our name because that could be my son my daughter my my sister my brother my dad my mum you know all the, the people around us and anybody who walk, goes through life thinking this couldn't happen to us this couldn't happen to my family is living on a different planet these things can happen stuff can happen at any time and we have a right i i i think we have a, a um, i don't mean a right we do have a right but i think we have um a duty as well as a right to uh ensure that wherever we see injustice of whatever of whatever form we stand up to it whether it's on the street um or it's with institutions or it's with governments you know we 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 will only be better uh, as people if we um struggle against injustices and there's enough to struggle against and i think we're going to see that increase i'm 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 afraid in the next months with uh, the whole brexit issue and the uh, just the volatile volatility of the atmosphere i never thought in my lifetime that i would see uh, a rise in what i can only describe as fascism in our society and you know this city turned that back you know when it was when the marches were going to happen here those people were turned back at the station and to me we have to fight that because i know the legacy from my parents of of what that did to their generation we must never let that happen again so that sounds a very big and grand statement but we can all make a difference in those situations however small in our own lives just before you go then Phil you just wanted to quickly give a mention to obviously uh, what's happening at the moment with Hillsborough um what you not necessarily what you can and can't talk about but what the next steps are well i mean what what we're waiting for now is the um clearly is the retrial of um of, of David Duckenfield who was the match commander and that is going to uh, take place in the autumn um and will be i think fairly well a rerun of the previous trial i will wait the outcome of that then um after that is over the next trial will be in the new year and that's the trial relating to um the review and alteration of police statements um that was you know that's been written about in my book and is really well known and there are three men standing trial for that when that is over we then still have the civil cases uh, and the issues around damages towards um family survivors etc etc so that will carry on um for for at least a couple of years after that so that's the they're the next steps and the one thing i never forget and i think none of us should ever forget is that whatever was achieved through the panel 
whatever was achieved through the um, the fact that uh, the verdict in the inquest was that uh, the, the 95, as it was in the verdict, but we know it's 96, uh, were killed unlawfully, and all the riders and criticisms that went with that from that incredible jury, whatever what, whatever the outcome, that cannot be reversed. You know, that is there for all time, whatever the outcome of the trial. And I think that it's really important that we remember that, that we don't think that the trial is the be-all and end-all, that what we think was the be-all and end-all was that verdict. I've never remembered the day I was walking down Dale Street just after we got the... Uh, after we'd launched the um, the panel's report, and I saw this guy, and he was running towards me, and um, he threw his arms around me and hugged me, and I, was, I didn't know him from Adam, and um, I don't mean Lalana. And uh, I'd have recognised him. And uh, I didn't know him from Adam. And he, he gripped me really tight and he just said, Phil Scranton, you know, um, just thank you for the, the work of the panel. He said, thank you for the report. For the first time in over 20 years, I can walk through the city with my head up. That was a metaphor to me, that all those survivors who'd been blamed and who knew they were innocent were carrying that burden, and some will still carry that burden, all that time, because they know what the pains of survival were. And I felt that, yeah, we achieved a lot in, in, in the panel, and eventually in the inquest, we achieved a lot for the bereaved families. But we also um, made a point to the nation about those who survived uh, the worst day of their lives. And always, always keep that in mind. Phil, it's a pleasure. It's always great to get you in. And I'm really happy that we'll be seeing you around the pool a bit more from now on. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Sports Social Podcast Network.